You're listening to South Asia Sphere from Himal South Asia, a bi-weekly roundup of what's been happening across South Asia. This episode was recorded on the 22nd of August 2023. Hi everyone and welcome to South Asia Sphere, our fortnightly roundup of news events and regional affairs. I'm Raisa and I'm joined by my colleague and assistant editor Shweta Srikanthan. Hi Shweta. Hi Raisa. So for this episode we're going to be talking about the kickoff of election season in the Maldives and Pakistan and Islamophobia in North and Northeast India. For around South Asia in 5 minutes we'll be talking about unpaid electricity bills and corruption in Sri Lanka, the recent capsizing of a boat carrying Rohingya refugees in the Bay of Bengal, Manipur's internet ban and Modi statement fractures in Nepal's ruling coalition after a Supreme Court ruling, calls to release Bhutan's Nepali-speaking Lhot Champa prisoners, protests around the funeral of Jamaat-e-Islami leader Delwa Hossein Saidi, and how three recently introduced bills on criminal laws in India's parliament amounted to imposing Hindi on non-Hindi-speaking states. So let's start off with talking about elections. Now the Maldives is slated to kick off presidential elections on September 9th with eight names put forward for candidacy. Part of the reason for this higher number of candidates might be because of splits in former political coalitions. Most prominently the former president Mohammad Nasheed created a new party the Democrats as a result of splits within the ruling Maldivian Democratic Party. Now they've put forward Elias Labib as a candidate and this is likely because Nasheed is aiming for the role of prime minister. A key omission from the list is Abdullah Yamin Abdul Gayoom who received an 11 year sentence on corruption and money laundering charges. Now the Supreme Court has ruled that as a result Yamin is barred from contesting. Now he's been urging his Progressive Party of the Maldives as well as other parties in the opposition coalition to boycott the elections um this was a proposal which was rejected by the progressive party and coalition partner people's national congress instead they've put forward male city mayor dr mohammed muizu as a candidate initially yamin reportedly rejected this decision which led to tension within the coalition but he since apparently changed his stance and said he will back muizu and he's already speaking about his intent to free Yamin if he is elected there's also a few independent candidates and they include business tycoon and leader of Jamhuri party Kasim Ibrahim and Faris Maumoon who is Yamin's nephew and the son of former president Maumoon Abdul Kayoum now both these candidates used to back president Ibrahim Mohammed Soli but have opted to run independently this time around All of this points to Maldives' fractured political landscape and indicates that a contentious election is in the offing. Do please read our February 2023 Himal brief on the presidential race and we'll link to that in the episode notes. The Election Commission of Pakistan has announced fresh constituency delimitation, extending the timeline for upcoming general elections beyond the 90-day constitutional limit. where we have sense of continuation of national and international commitments with all the previous comments which we are, they have uh, given in pakistan 
President Arif Alvi dissolved the lower house of parliament, which paved the way for general elections under a neutral caretaker administration and a caretaker prime minister, Senator Anwar ul Kakar of the Balochistan Awami Party has been appointed. Now, this indicates that elections should be held by the 8th of November, but the outgoing government also approved a new census, which means the election commission has to draw new electoral boundaries before elections. So this is likely to push back that date. At the moment, Pakistan's election commission is saying new constituencies will be identified by December 14th. Now, political analysts are worried that a prolonged caretaker administration might also allow the military to consolidate control. Meanwhile, Imran Khan has been barred from holding public office for five years, meaning that he loses his member of parliament position as well. He maintains that the charges against him are politically motivated. The announcement of elections is another step towards ending the political instability that has been impacting Pakistan for months, including a crackdown on the PTI party and its supporters. We've been covering this in past episodes of South Asia Sphere as well, so do revisit those and we'll link to them in the episode notes. In Haryana, there are calls for boycotting Muslim shops and keeping Muslims out of villages after the outbreak of communal violence in New and Gurugram districts. More than 50 village governing bodies in three districts in Haryana issued statements on 3rd August saying they decided to ban the entry of Muslim traders in their areas in the wake of atrocities committed on Hindus in Nu. So far, police have arrested over 393 people and have taken at least 118 into preventive detention. Much of these calls for boycotts are coming from Hindu right-wing groups like Bajrangdal, with Bajrangdal member Krishna Gurjar issuing ultimatums to local traders to fire any Muslim employees they had or face a boycott. At another demonstration on 6th August in Haryana's Tigra village, Hindu protesters demanded the release of men arrested for killing the deputy imam of the Anjuman Jama Mosque in Gurugram district. Meanwhile, Assam's Chief Minister Himanta Biswa Sarma while speaking at an Independence Day event in Gwazi, said the state would bring a strong law to end polygamy and child marriage in Assam by 2026. While Sarma framed his comments as an attempt to improve women's empowerment in the state, his thinly veiled Islamophobic comments are meant to appeal to his constituents. All these incidents add up to heightened structural violence targeting Muslims in the north and northeast of India. Across the border in Pakistan, there was violence targeting the Christian community in Jaranwala and Faisalabad, sparked by claims that two Christian men had torn pages from the Quran. According to a fact-finding report by the Human Rights Focus Pakistan, based on interviews with over 150 survivors, at least 19 churches have been destroyed and 89 Christian houses set on fire. Around 100 people have been arrested and the provincial government has ordered a full inquiry. And now for our next segment around South Asia in five minutes. In Sri Lanka, unpaid electricity bills have been in the news. JVP member Nalin Hevage recently filed a right to information request and found that the former Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa's son, Namal, had not settled an electricity bill amounting to 2.6 million Sri Lankan rupees 
which is from his wedding reception in 2019. The younger Rajapaksa asked for a clarification, which the CEB promised to provide. In another incident, electricity to the sacred grounds of the Mihintale temple was disconnected after they had not paid their electricity bills in several months, and they had accumulated as much as 4.1 million Sri Lankan rupees in unpaid bills. In another twist to this story, the leader of the Samagi, Jana Balavegaya, Sajid Premadasa, then settled the bill and said that the disconnection was mistreating a place of worship. These incidents only underscore how, despite Sri Lanka's economic crisis and sustained public protests calling for cleaner governance, corruption continues to persist within Sri Lanka's established political class. Premadasa's act of settling Mihintale's unpaid bill also highlights the prominent place that the Buddhist clergy has always received in political affairs in Sri Lanka and can be seen as him pandering to would-be Sinhalese voters, although slated elections have been indefinitely postponed by the current president. At least 23 people drowned and over 30 more are missing after a boat carrying Rohingya refugees from Myanmar to Malaysia capsized off the coast of Myanmar. Eight people have been rescued. In total, there were believed to be at least 58 people on board when the storm hit. According to the UNHCR, more than 3,500 Rohingya attempted the crossing over the Andaman Sea and the Bay of Bengal in 2022, while Human Rights Watch reported that around 350 of those attempting the crossing drowned in 2022. We hosted an edition of South Asian Conversations on Rohingya Crisis at Sea in March. Do watch that via the link in our episode notes. In Manipur, an internet ban imposed after the outbreak of communal violence on May 3rd has only partly been lifted, with mobile internet, VPNs and social media websites remaining suspended and connection only allowed through static IP addresses. On August 11th, the Manipur High Court asked the state government to selectively allow internet access through whitelisted phone numbers and also call for a report from the state government outlining their approach. There has been much criticism of the ban given that it limits the flow of information around human rights violations, including sexual violence in the aftermath of the May 3 violence. Indian Prime Minister Modi was compelled to speak about Manipur despite easily defeating a no-confidence motion filed against him by opposition parties, vowing to bring peace to the state at the earliest and adding that the incidents in Manipur were saddening and that wrongdoers would be punished. But he also took potshots at Congress, saying that Indira Gandhi's government used the Air Force to attack Mizoram in 1966. The opposition said that Modi avoided talking about Manipur in much of his two-hour speech. Meanwhile, on August 18th, the Supreme Court passed orders to facilitate the functioning of a three-member panel set up to oversee relief and rehabilitation for victims of the Manipur violence. In Bhutan, there are continued calls to release political prisoners who have been held in poor conditions for decades after unfair trials in Bhutan since 1990. In a joint statement, Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch said around 37 prisoners have been serving long sentences, many of them sentenced to life without parole. Most of the prisoners are accused of opposing discriminatory policies targeting Bhutan's Nepali-speaking Lhotsampa community, which faced persecution in the 1990s. 
the advocacy groups called on King Jigme to grant clemency. The prisoners reportedly have endured torture and have no access to defense lawyers at the time of trial and are receiving inadequate food, heating and bedding and are denied visits from friends and family. In Nepal, there are continued fractures in the ruling coalition, leading to Prime Minister Pushpa Kamal Dahal calling an emergency meeting after a Supreme Court decision paved the way for two former prime ministers to be put on trial over corruption allegations. Now, Madhav Kumar Nepal, who is a key coalition partner, said that there would be consequences if action was taken against him, which may have prompted Dahal to call the meeting. Nepal, who is a former prime minister, and another former prime minister, Baburam Patharai, are both implicated in a fraudulent land transfer case, which allowed for around 15 hectares of land, including the Prime Minister's residence, Nepal Rastra Bank Central Office, and some other residences of key government officials to be transferred to private individuals. Previously, both of the former Prime Ministers escaped accountability for their role in the case, but the recent verdict has lifted the 13-year immunity enjoyed by Nepal's ministers from being probed by government agencies. At the same time, Nepali Congress is also upset with Dahal over investigations into a scam involving Bhutanese refugees, which has implicated Congress President Sher Bahadur Deuba's wife, Azudrana Deuba, and they are pressuring him to transfer out the investigating officers in the case. Now, these incidents put increased pressure on Dahal, but now has to attempt to appease key coalition partners in order to maintain stability in the ruling alliance. On 11th August, Indian Home Minister Amit Shah introduced three new bills aimed at replacing colonial era legislation, namely the Indian Penal Code, the Criminal Procedure Code, and the Evidence Act. However, the bills have been met with protests by legislators in South India who pointed out that the titles of the bills presented were in Hindi, effectively imposing the Hindi language on non-Hindi-speaking states. The Dravida Munnetra Kadugam MP Wilson went so far as to term the move unconstitutional, while the Tamil Nadu Chief Minister MK Stalin had on Friday said the center's move, quote, reeks of linguistic imperialism, unquote. Jamat Neta Delor Hussein Saidir Janaza Korar Dabite, Radpor Hashpatale Shamne, Bikup Kurachan Dalti Neta Kurpida. In Bangladesh, the funeral of a senior Jamati Islami leader, Delwa Hossein Saidi, who was sentenced to death in 2013 for rape, murder, and the persecution of Hindu Bangladeshis during the country's war for independence in 1971 which was later commuted to life imprisonment, was attended by over 50,000 people. There was heavy police presence at the funeral, but at least one person died in clashes with police after supporters attempted to hold a remembrance ceremony for Saidi. The high attendance signals growing support for the conservative Jamaati Islami Party, despite the ruling Awami League initiating war crimes trials against the party and generally working to clamp down on political opposition. We recently discussed the resurgence of Jamaati Islami in a previous edition of South Asia Sphere, so do listen to that and we'll link to it in the episode notes. And now for our next segment, Bookmarked. 
Shweta, do you have any recommendations? Yes. Um, so this week we'll be talking about the second season of the Amazon Prime series Made in Heaven, season two, uh, directed by Zoya Akhtar and Reema Kagti. Mehendi wedding or reception. Can you plan functions Yeah, sure. Whatever you need. We're here for you. Small part of your big day. Um, so the show traces the story of a group of wedding planners who go to great lengths to help Delhi's elite plan their dream weddings while kind of navigating their own problems along the way. Now, the show has been widely discussed for spotlighting customs and prejudices that impact marriages, but are usually not discussed or let alone shown in mainstream television. And the first season of the show addressed topics like dowry, ageism, and sexual assault. And this time it's adding themes like colorism, caste prejudice, polygamy, and domestic violence to the list. Now, the show has been praised for prominently featuring queer characters and also for depicting a Dalit wedding. But the show has also met with criticism on some fronts. Raisa, have you seen the show? I have. Well, full disclosure, I've watched um, only a couple of episodes. But so far, I've uh, kind of been seeing what you've been saying, that it does kind of touch on issues like colorism, caste, class, um, and issues like that, which, um, and it does portray kind of queer intimacy as well, uh, in a way which has received a lot of praise. Um, but it's also received some criticism for several reasons, one of which is that um, kind of a criticism which has been leveled, which I kind of agree with, is that the kind of complexity of the characters, is it's kind of only given to the wedding planner protagonists, and we kind of only see them kind of navigating through their kind of internal issues, whereas the uh, couples who feature in the each episodes are kind of more cookie cutter and cutouts and we don't really gain much insight into their lives outside of the issues they discuss it does also kind of remind me of shows like indian matchmaking in that um there's this kind of almost like a checklist of issues that they're kind of just trying to check off and um not necessarily delving very deep into any of them um and like deeply criticizing issues like caste for example uh apart from that it has of course gotten uh some quite some criticism because of um yashika dat who commented saying that um at least one episode um the one that deals with caste and the dalit wedding has been it seems to have been at least partly inspired by her life and her um book um, which is called, I believe, Coming Out. Um, and the episode also refers to coming out as Dalit kind of throughout the episode as well. Um, so she said that she had not been credited and had not received compensation despite her kind of life being clearly the inspiration um, for this episode. Now, the filmmakers and directors, for their part, um, they put out an initial statement saying that they categorically deny any claims that Miss Tart's life and work was appropriated by them. But subsequently, one of the directors, Neeraj Kewan, said in an interview that art is subjective, it's reflecting reality, and if it won't, it will be hollow, and asked the question whether 
a lot of things that are depicted in art come from reality and you have to see things from that lens of art which is slightly different to you know the initial statement where they are simply denying that there is any kind of connection with yashika dat and he's also claimed that the character is based on his life because he himself used the name kumar to hide his dalit identity and has now kind of reclaimed his last name but yeah apart from that i would say that it's an entertaining watch but maybe a little bit of as i said it's it kind of gives you the feeling that it's just uh going down a checklist and just trying to tick all the boxes in terms of like um social issues to talk about but um if you want a kind of lighthearted watch or just want to understand what people are arguing about on twitter then i recommend you give it a watch and i also wanted to give a quick shout out for this month's screen south asia film parveen rahman the rebel optimist um this is an intimate portrait of a pakistani architect and urban planner parveen rahman and her life and work click the link in our episode notes to register for the screening from 1st to 4th september and join us for a q and a session with the director mahera umar on 4th september thanks shweta and on that note that's it for this edition of south asia sphere see you next time bye bye thank you for listening to south asia sphere follow us on apple podcasts spotify youtube soundcloud and himal south asian social media channels to make sure you don't miss the next episode head to our website himalmag.com to see more of himal's work and please support our work by becoming a member Check out our membership plans at himalmag.com/membership